thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Okay, guys, I'm going to tell you a quick story to illustrate something you all know. People can be a little difficult. Just a little. Especially after a long winter like the one we've had. Right? I used to work at at Sprint in the cell phone industry. Sprint will probably not be a cell phone company much longer from what they're saying in the news. But I remember I was working and I had worked my way up for um, about two years at that point. And I was training other retail employees. I had actually moved out of the sales part into a lot of the troubleshooting, customer service, and technical part of the company. So I'd moved into um, a better position, a different position. And one of the things I was doing, because I I had done some sales and and done well with it, and I was good at communicating, so they had me teaching uh, a salesperson on the sales floor. And a lady came in, and she was very upset. And I had been training this new girl, Erin, who was one of our employees, and I was teaching her the ropes. And one of the things that we had to do, and you've maybe experienced this somewhere, whether it's on the phone or in person, you have to ask them to give you a survey based only on your service. Have you ever seen that? Or maybe you're at Applebee's or somewhere and they hand you that little electronic thing and ask you to fill it out, but you don't. You guys know what I'm talking about? So this lady came in and her cell phone bill for the month was over $1,000. Poor Aaron. This was her first customer of the day. So she, I was in the, in the store, out in the storefront that day. I normally wasn't. And she asked me, she asked me to help and so I've been training her, and she knew that she had to do all these things, and at the end, ask for the survey. The lady came in. We looked at her bill. It, it was her fault. It was the lady had, had misunderstood. She, it was her fault, and so she really owed the large bill. And so what we decided to do was I was able to credit her that nearly $900 back, and I did that. But she was so angry about the whole situation, she smashed the computer on Aaron's desk, threw it on the floor, smashed her phone, screamed at us, and threw everything on the floor. And she looked at me and she said, look, I don't know what you guys expect from me, but I don't want to deal with this any longer. Do you have anything else to say to me? And since I was helping, I looked at her and said, ma'am, I'm very sorry, I hope we solved your problem today, and is there any reason that if you had to rate me between one and five, you could not give me a five today on a customer service satisfaction survey. Needless to to say, I got a zero on that survey (laughs) when it came in that day. And I was very, very frustrated because I was trying to be a good example to the person I was helping, the person I was showing the ropes to. And I realized that our lives are a lot like that, where we are so worried about our performance sometimes, or we're so embarrassed at our failures or our mistakes, that we often say and do things we don't mean. Now, ironically, I ran into this same customer, this same lady, years later, at a murder mystery party that I was attending with my wife, who worked for Kohl's. And since she saw me there and I was introduced as Mandy's husband, who was a pastor, because I was in in my seminary and my uh, ordination at that point, she didn't connect any of that together, and she was a very nice lady. And we had a lovely murder mystery, and I got in the car, and I said to Mandy, that was the customer. That's what she was known as, the customer. 
And she said, get out of town. I said, no, that was her. I'm sure of it. I never forget someone that smashes my computer in front of me. It was her. So what's the point in that? The point is that we are so blessed as we're learning in the book of Romans that God does not judge us based on our performance because all of us have some bad and even terrible days, don't we? And sometimes even when people love you and show you grace and mercy, even when God does it in our sin and our natural state, we don't handle that. Unless God gives us that irresistible grace that he offers in our natural selves, we don't deal well with our own failure, with our own shortcomings. Yet Christ comes and loves us in the midst of our imperfection, in the midst of our brokenness as we've learned. And the position we have before God is not based thank God on that performance, but on who Christ is, as the kids talked about, and that he is the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we finish up here in Romans chapter 6 and get ready to head into Lent and look at the book of Luke, I invite you to turn to Romans 6. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Most of what we're going to do today starts at verse 15, but I wanted to have this overlap for you guys that we think about. So we're going to read through the end of the chapter through verse 23. Romans chapter 6. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Remember this from last week. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regards to righteousness but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's funny, there's so many songs and so many TV shows. We just had a bunch of award shows. It was award show season. And as I looked at this passage in a lot of commentaries and what a lot of preachers have done, the one thing I found that so many preachers had done, they got the lyrics from Bob Dylan's classic. And what's the song's title, everyone? You know it. You gotta serve somebody. I don't know that I really care for Bob Dylan. I don't understand if he's really singing or if he's in pain sometimes. But people like him, and he has some interesting lyrics, but this song is absolutely perfect. 
You might like to wear cotton, you might like to wear silk, you might like to drink whiskey, you might like to drink milk. At Stowe Presbyterian Church, you're theologically able to do both in moderation. So we're clear, okay? You might like to eat caviar, I don't. You might like to eat bread. You might be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan gets it right. And he gets it right that there's really only two options. And whether you're having a good day or having a bad day, what's going on in your life is your life, your members, who you are, your body, your faculties, your choices, you're going to be heading one of two ways. You're going to be heading towards what God has blessed and designed and, and given you in Christ, or you're heading towards destruction. And here Paul paints for us a very important distinction. We've been set free in Christ. We've been justified by Christ's blood, by Christ's faith. That's what the kids learned this morning. And Bob Dylan, or in, more in my time, Lenny Kravitz says, Are You Gonna Go My Way is a song he did. That's actually a song about Jesus, if you didn't know that, if you've ever heard that song. That's a song he wrote about his own faith. And in that song, you know, the question that repeats in that song is, Are you gonna go my way? And God is asking us, Hey, you're gonna got, you gotta serve somebody, you're gonna serve someone, so are you gonna come the way that I have given you to go? Or are you going to go a different direction? You see, it's funny. In our lives, we don't recognize that whether we're standing in Adam and in that perfection, that covenant of works we've been talking about, where we got to get it perfect, and we know we're not like the lady I encountered. We all have bad days. Sometimes we have terrible days. We love to forget. And then you can see one of us a different time, and we're, we're like a completely different person. And Paul's going to get into this in the book of Romans that we're really almost like two different people sometimes. But when we stand in Christ, it's not our performance, but Christ's perfection, Christ's atoning blood. And we are set free in that as Paul wants the people in Rome and wants us to understand. And our calling now as we've been set free by the Holy Spirit is to pursue Christ and put sin to death. And what I want us to understand here is that we have an active choice to make in our lives. We have an active choice. And we are only forever one of two things. Whatever labels the world wants to put on you or what people put on each other, Paul wants us to see, wants the church in Rome to understand. And they had all kinds of labels. You guys are the Gentiles, and you guys, well, you're with the Judaizers, and you guys are the Jewish converts, and they all thought they were better than each other. And Paul says, no, no, no. Throughout this book, he says, you're only one of two things. You're under Adam, and you're under sin. Or you're in Christ. Those are the only two labels, the only two distinctions in God's kingdom. You're either going God's way, Christ's way, you're following where he is leading that direction, or you're going your own way. And what Paul wants us to say, and Paul agrees with Lenny Kravitz, I can't believe I get to say that in church, you've got to go the way that Christ has not only empowered you, but has told you that you are to go. That is our responsibility, because you cannot do both. Paul wanted the Roman church and us to see that nothing else, no other allegiances, labels, nothing else like that matters. That spiritual identity is all that we 
have. That spiritual reality goes above all else. That's what God is calling us to understand. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, your instruments being who you are, all the opportunities, your body, your life, your choices, the resources God has given to you. Present them to God as those who have been brought from, spiritually speaking, death to life. So everything you have should be praising and glorifying and following where God leads us. Because when we accept Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit and sin will have no dominion, we are promising God's word, over us. Not that we're not perfect, but we are able to obey. That's awesome. So when someone says to me, hey, I'm going to give you a service from one to five, were you totally satisfied with my walk with Jesus today? Were you mostly satisfied or completely dissatisfied? Even if you have a bad day, God says, that's okay, I'm with you. You can make this right. You can get going. But you've got to choose because you're going to belong to somebody. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to God. Two types of people, not rural or urban, not wealthy, not poor. It's not based on your sexuality or your documentation or where you're from or any of these things that everybody is worried about. It is one thing and one thing only, your heart position, that spiritual reality above all else. Is your direction taking you towards Christ or towards you trying to stand in your own righteousness? That's why Lent is important. I hope you can come on Ash Wednesday. Lent is important because we set aside time to focus and reflect and say, hey, am I truly belonging to Jesus in my life the way that I'm supposed to? Because either I'm dying to sin and living in Christ, or I'm not living into Christ and I'm letting sin live and take hold of me, and it's enslaving me. That's what Paul's saying. He says, are we supposed to keep doing this stuff? He says, no, that's not how it works. By no means. If you present yourself to anyone, he says, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Now notice there, there's an active choice you make. You present yourself. You make a decision. In fact, if you looked at the handout, and I want you guys, if you didn't grab this, this is out in the little thing where all the cards are. I had a thing last week. How do you overcome sin and temptation? Part of how this works is your sin is never just all of a sudden out of nowhere, blammo. We always act like that, right? We always act like that, like sin came out of nowhere and broadsided us. It's not me, Lord, it's, no, don't, guys, don't blame your wife. That never works, by the way. Not since the beginning has that worked, right? It's not me, it's, it's, it's this person. It, it was, I just, I have a weak constitution, God. I'm predisposed to sin. All of those things may be true. But God says, no, I will give you the power to overcome your sin. And we talked about that last week. You have a decision. And, you know, just like we hear Bob Dylan say, you've got to serve somebody. Choose who you're going to serve. Because whichever way you go is going to make a huge difference in your life. Your heart here, we are told, is 100% to belong to Christ. The heart makes you part of going one direction or another. And the key to this is repentance. The key is repentance. I've been reading a book on marriage. I counsel people with marriage. I'm doing some premarital counseling coming up for some great people. And I'll tell you, even those of us that live in Christ are dummies when it comes to marriage. Marriage. 
We say and do the wrong thing. We don't listen to our husbands or wives. We don't pay attention. We don't make those connections. And the key to marriage, the deepest of relationship, the key to parenting, husbands and wives that work together, moms and dads, the grandparents that try to love on their grandkids, the key to all of this is having the love of Christ in your life. And that means the key to all of your relationships is one thing. You have to belong to Christ. And so repentance is the key. Repentance. Repentance is when you say to God, I've been doing this, and it's really, really not good. So I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to move away, and I'm going to move towards you, God. See, it's directional. God, I need to belong. I need more of you, Jesus, in my life, and I need less of this. I thought this was going to be good for me, but in fact, it's really terrible. So I've been enslaved by this, but God, Jesus, I need you to come in. I need to be a slave to you. I need to obey you. I need to have more of your righteousness, more of your grace, more of your mercy. Repentance is turning away from your sin and getting a new life in Jesus. And a new life means you should try your darndest to live a new way. Not that you're going to get it perfect. We've all got bad days. But the point of this is that's why it says you're a slave. You're going to serve one or the other. If you're a slave to sin, it's not going to go well as we see. And if you're a slave to God, it's going to go well. But now some of you are hung up here on this idea of the word slave. And you're thinking of slavery in terms of American history. Or the idea of what we call chattel slavery in American history. And this is a horrible, wrong, no good, terrible thing. Worse than that, Christians in America misuse God's word for a variety of terrible things. Slavery being one of them. Now I'm watching politicians try to misuse God's word or make up verses that aren't in the Bible for what they're trying to do now. We, nothing's new under the sun, right? But this word slave, doulos in the Bible, this word commonly referred to culturally as the one who surrenders their rights to another. And oftentimes in the Bible, what we find is these folks owed a gigantic debt for whatever reason. Generally because of something they had done. Not always. But oftentimes that was. And so if they had a debt, I owe $375,000, whatever it would be, you know, in their case. In that culture, they would say, okay. So they would sell themselves to somebody. They'd say, hey, you're a wealthy person. Will you pay this debt for me in exchange? I'll work for you for X amount of years. And I'll, I'll be your servant. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll do whatever. It wasn't always fair. Humans are sinful. Bad things happen with it. I'm not presenting it as something it's not. But it was different in the fact that at the end of that term, if you could pay off your debt, then you were free again. That's how that worked. And so the Church of Rome was made up of a lot of folks who maybe worked in people's households or worked in them, and they were, they were slaves. So when Paul presents to them the idea of you are selling yourself into bondage to something, you are being a bondservant to something, when he says when you present yourself, here I am, you do this, I'm going to give you my whole life. The church in Rome had many people that understood that. And you promised that I'm going to present myself and I'm going to be obedient. And Paul says here, if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And here, in a spiritual sense, he's saying, you're going to be a servant of either sin, which is directional, it leads to death, 
or of obedience which leads to righteousness, which means God is empowering you by his spirit, and through that process you are becoming more like Jesus, that sanctification process of righteousness. But Paul recognizes here that naturally sin is what we choose because it easily and quickly satisfies at first. John MacArthur says, it's not that we don't have the light, we don't want the light. It's right there in front of us, we don't naturally desire it in our natural sinful selves, we don't want anything to do with it. Or as I said last week, One Republic song, Counting Stars, everything that kills us makes us feel alive to a point, but not forever. And what happens is sin brings us into more sin, and once that wears off, we look for something deeper, more powerful, and it's not just addiction with drugs or alcohol, it's with all kinds of things, with power, with admiration, with people saying, oh, you know what? And the funny thing is, it's not always even horrible things, as we're going to see. Sometimes we trade the best things for the good things. That's why last week, if you looked at this pamphlet on overcoming sin, the first thing you have to do is really look at your life and see your sin for what it is. Ephesians 2, a great passage of scripture. Mark this one down if you don't have it in your Bible. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, we carried out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. God does not look on sin as a holy God. Well, it's wrath like the rest of humanity, of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's a way out. You can belong completely to Christ. In fact, you can be a servant of Christ. You can belong to him. And even though sin feels good, when it stops feeling good, when you can't keep escalating that high that sin gives you, suddenly you realize you're a slave. You're, tra <clears throat> you're trapped in it. You are trapped in your sin. And to see, the problem is, it's like an investment account. It pays a dividend. The dividend sin pays to us is death. Always, always death. And the dividend that Jesus pays that Christ is, is life, is redemption. It's deliverance. That's what Jesus gives us. And though sin feels like a better deal today, it's not the better deal in the long run. See, all that's in the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world, we're warned, or the things in the world. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not going to be in you. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from God, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So look at this here. Let's break this down into something we can really use in our lives. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is being a slave to sin. It's not from the Father. It's not from God. Desires of the flesh, you guys get that, right? Basically anything on Cinemax after 9 p.m. Not good, right? You know what, though? 
of all the books we put out in our lobby and our welcome center for people of our church and people to visit us, the book we put out about the danger of pornography is one of the number one books that's taken, along with a book on worry. We lust after all kinds of things. Maybe it's the perfect house, the perfect life, the perfect romance, the perfect satisfaction physically, emotionally, the perfect experience that we have in terms of uh, our physical sensations, the flesh. Desires of the eyes. You look at the world around you. If I only had what they had. If I only had this much money, I'd give more time to God. If my kids were only like their kids. The pride of life on the other side of the coin, the shadow side of that coin. This is what Paul was encountering. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. I've said it before. Many great gospel preachers have said, nothing's worse than get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and sing in how great thou art to yourself. We all have moments when we do it. You're like, yeah, someone says you're pretty good, and you're like, yeah, I am. Thank you for noticing. I just sat in a room with 130 pastors this weekend. And I was at my friend Nate's church, and I went to seminary with him. Nate's church is awesome. He's done a great job. And it's hard for me as a pastor not to look and go, dude, you're killing it. You know what Nate says? He goes, I know. <laughs> But if I had been in Nate's position, I probably would have done the same thing. So I'm not picking on him. I'm not. Don't we all do that somewhere? But we're paying into sin's bank account when we do that. And right now it feels good. But eventually, all of a sudden, it flips a switch. And you're, suddenly you're caught in like a Jordan Peele movie. And people are trying to put your brains in somebody else's body. And you don't know what's happening. If you don't know what that is, ask your kids or grandkids. You're all, suddenly you're in the twilight zone. He's bringing that back. He's a TV guy, if you don't know him. Very talented guy. Suddenly you realize you're in a horror film where sin has you boxed in. You're a slave. You see, we're all paying into an account in our hearts and in our lives. We all have that debt to sin we're never going to pay off. Jesus pays off the debt and he fills the bank account. And he's going to give us all we need, but we still go over this way and we choose sin. And God's there, Jesus saying, come, go my way, come my way. But we lock ourselves down and we think we've got to prove ourselves and rate ourselves and get that perfect score. And he says, no, no, no. Sin may pay off instantly, but eventually we're still left with a bill. We can't pay it off. This week I finally went and bought my wife appliances. She's been waiting for almost four years for me to do this. And I've been paying off cards all the time. We don't keep debt in the Stanley home. We don't like that. It's not the way we roll. And my mom had even been helping us when she was still alive. And every time we paid off cards, we were getting Best Buy gift cards. And we saved up. And you can, fun fact, you can only use $2,000 worth of Best Buy gift cards per transaction. Fun fact I learned this week. And so I went in with the money I had been saving over time. In the gift cards that I had to buy my wife some appliances finally. We have one burner on our, on our stove from 1983. We have half a dishwasher, most of a refrigerator, and an oven that is 100 degrees off. 
It has a me mechanical flip clock. That's how old it is. It's actually the same oven from the show Family Ties. It, we, we, we looked it up on Netflix, same thing, same, or like on the internet somewhere we found it. It's the same one. Time to change it, right? So what happens if I go to Best Buy? We have a very narrow oven. What if I go in there, I saved all my money, I have my gift cards, that's what I have to pay with, and they say, don't have one to work for you. I'm stuck, right? They did, we were okay, but the point is this. If you are getting dividends from either sin or from God in your life, not just what's enslaving you, we'll look at it the other way, the obedience we're supposed to have, the commitment we're supposed to have, the, the way we're supposed to live, what is enslaving you? Are you enslaving yourself to what Christ called you to or to something else? If your life is a gift card, where are you banking your money? What's it going to buy you at the end of your life? Because the thing about gift cards, you can only spend them one place, right? What store are you cashing your money in to get the gift card for? And what will it buy you in the end? Your time, your choices, your heart's desire. And Paul here gives us a hint. It's, it's about what we decide is going to guide us to make the right decisions. If we're supposed to live into that every day, look what Paul says. Become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What do you think that they're talking about being taught? The Holy Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who God is, what he came to do, what he told us to do, and are we doing it? And if we receive the gospel spiritually, we're set free from sin. And instead of being a slave to it, we are, by God's grace, as we just saw, a slave of righteousness. So Paul says, I'm trying to break this down for you. It's hard. It's huge. It's in the depth of your being. What does your heart buy? Does your sin own you? The pride of your life? The desire of your eyes? The desires of the flesh? what you feel, what you perceive, what you discern. That takes us back to the book of Genesis and the first sin. It's amazing. What evidence of repentance and new life, what currency are you living into? If your life was a gift card. I sat with pastors this weekend and we reflected on the statistic I shared with you last week. 47% of millennials believe that evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, is actually harmful or offensive. These are millennials inside the church. Believe the Great Commission is what's wrong with the church. People over the age of 40, what currency have we banked and passed on to the generations coming behind us? Have we taught them God's word the way we should have? I don't think we can say, and this is the capital C church, I'm not picking on us, I'm not. I sat with a hundred and some pastors, and we lamented the fact that this is what we are seeing. We've taught them, rather than to know God's word, to be enslaved by their own desires. 
Because if we're set free in Jesus, if we're banking our credit in that freedom we have in Jesus Christ to, to live and to love and to serve and to be sanctified, to grow more like him, if we're doing that, then who we are and how we live and what we do should be different. The thing is, I think we trade the good for the best. We don't see it as slavery. We see it more like a timeshare. God, I want to give you some time, but I have to take my kids to this. God, I want to give you some time. Actually, I've given you a lot of time. I need some time for me. You know, God, I've given you what I can, but now I've got to worry about some other things. We have an active heart choice to build habits and relationships that draw us deeper into God or deeper into our own desires. But the deeper we go into ourselves, the deeper we decide we got to serve that, the less we're banking in God's freedom and the more we're banking in death. The church can't keep doing this, guys. Paul here wants his church and the church of Rome to see like he wants us that we are to present ourselves to God. Slaves to righteousness, that we would be sanctified, that we would become more like him. That we don't hunger for the flesh, for the eyes, and for the pride. But that we humble ourselves and become a servant, just as Jesus Christ came to us. That's what Lent is all about, that we would go God's way. So today, that we would think about, what credit, what am I banking into my account? My life, my schedule, my choices, my desires. Am I getting into God's word? Am I being guided by God's word? If God's word's instructive to sanctify and set me apart, am I living into that? If I've been set free, what am I doing to live into that every day? There are tons of books out there. There are Bible studies we have. There are men's and women's studies at this church. Please get involved. And invite someone else. If this is the most important thing in the world, then let someone know about it. Following sin does not increasingly benefit us. It kills us. This week, I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to go home this week. And I want you to think about one of those key verses in the Bible where Paul wraps this up. The wages of sin is death. They both pay out. They both bank credit. There are dividends for either direction. Sin will pay you out a dividend. It's death. As we talked about, it's that death, death. Spiritual, physical death. Complete death. Eternal death. It may feel good at first, but eventually, when the veil comes off, it's death. We all know that. But the gift of God, the joy, the hope, the peace, the sanctification, the glory, all that God gives us, the eternal life, good life now, and restored life later, comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go home this week, look at your life, and I want you to come up with your own personal bank statement. Rate yourself on one to five. Not even one to five. Just write down your life, your choices, what you're about, what you're hungering for, your dreams, your hopes, what you want. Is that putting you in God's camp, in Christ's camp, or is it more about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye?
and the private life? What payout will your choices, God's given you the freedom in Christ, what payout will your life receive? I love what John Piper says about this. As much as we can, let's defend the truth, the word of God and what is taught as we see here. Paul means the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word. As much as we can, let's defend the truth by pointing to what the apostles taught. And let's call out sin by pointing to the inconsistencies between what we say we believe and what we do. Slaves are humble. They're honest with themselves of what they owe and why. You think about that. Let's pray. Father, that we would recognize that you have been given, we have been given in you all this grace, all this freedom, all this opportunity, but in our sinfulness, we so quickly, God, we so quickly give ourselves over to these other things. What feels good, what, what looks good. And God, sometimes what we think we've got going on. But as slaves, we recognize that humility is the key. That brokenness is the key. That surrender is what it's all about. That we understand we owe a debt we can never pay. But yet you came for us anyhow. And that you give us freedom to choose by your Spirit. That we can live into what brings life and hope. That changes us and sanctifies us to be more like you. God, that we would take time to know your word. That it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That we would walk into greater obedience in this Lenten season that we would pick up the book, that we would pray, that we would get involved, that we would set aside time to reflect on our lives. What are we banking for with our decisions, with our desires? What direction are we headed? God, for me too, for all of us, we need to do this every day. It's an active choice for each of us that we would belong more fully to you God, that someday we would, in humility, stand before you and you would say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.